Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, we have another special episode of the Ridgeway Podcast today. We're continuing our series through keynote sessions at the Convergence Conference, where we talked about the God who heals, and we talked about the convergence of word and spirit. This was a conference hosted in Oklahoma City by Bridgeway Church, and um, today we're going to be hearing from Michael Brown, um, who talked about Israel's divine healer. He talks through how God has seen his healer throughout the Old Testament. This was one of my favorite sessions. I found it extremely helpful. Uh, you also hear Michael speak in some beautiful Hebrew um, as he quotes the Old Testament, which is a a really fun addition to this. So we hope you enjoy this episode um, of Michael Brown's keynote, Israel, the Divine Healer. Let me just say this to encourage you about God's grace. A great message from Christine last night, and obviously the power of her message is the power of her testimony. And, and how God takes broken people and uses them for His glory. And as, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we have this, this power in earthly vessels, this treasure in earthly vessels, so that the excellency of the power would be God's, not ours. And when God works through us, it, the world sees it must be God, it's not us. Right? He takes the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the, the strong and the wise. And when I was lost, I don't know about some of you, but when I was lost, I was really lost. You know, some of you were raised in church and always been quite, you know, good people and you came to know the Lord. But I, I just fell into the whole rebellion of the 60s. There's a saying, if you're old enough, you'll relate to it. If you remember the 60s, you weren't there. So I got caught up in the whole counterculture revolution. I was bar mitzvah at 13, right? So Jewish, but I wasn't a very religious Jew. It was more of a, a social event for me. The, the big impacting event for me at 13 was seeing Jimi Hendrix in concert. So, you know, I was playing drums and then the whole rock scene. So I started getting high at 14, was shooting heroin at 15 and got gloriously saved at 16. But, but one of the things that we used to do in our, in our crazy drug days was we wouldn't just get high. We, we would go over where these trucks were parked behind railroad tracks and we would huff diesel gas. And you're talking about something idiotic and destructive and brain destroying it. And we would get in this bizarre realm, and, and, and the fellow band members, the two other guys, we used to sit there, and we called ourselves the Demon Meeting Council, because we were, we were fantasizing that we were demonic spirits out to plot evil in the world. I mean, you're talking about sick. That was sick. And, and at that same time, late 60s, early 70s, was the Jesus People Movement, the Jesus Revolution. And God started saving hippies and rebels and radicals from around the world, many of them Jews. But the problem was that, that when, when you come to faith as a Jew, even if you're not religious, your family says, we need to talk to the rabbi. And these new Jewish believers were not ready to talk to the rabbis. And, and the rabbis being better educated and, and having a history of dealing with these kinds of beliefs. So Jewish people were coming to faith, but then getting picked off and falling away. So there was a need. So, so picture this, in the councils of heaven, God with the angels looking down 
and, and, and saying, you know, we need someone that's going to be able to take on the rabbis, say get a doctorate in ancient Semitic languages, someone that'll write like a series of, of books, five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus, and will debate rabbis at places like Oxford University, and, and God looks down and there's this guy huffing diesel gas, part of the demon meeting council, and God says, I, I got just, just the man for the job. Come on! God takes pleasure in using foolish human beings like us. And the same with healing. There's no power in your hands. No, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. He does the work. You know, my wife and I met in the same little Italian Pentecostal church, remarkably enough. I, I went there to pull my best friends out. Uh, and God saved me, and then two and a half years later, here she shows up, Jewish atheist. Her mom married four times. It's a miracle she even stepped in the doors there. And, and immediately reached out to her, and over a short period of time, God started to work in her. She got wonderfully saved. That was 74, and then we got married in 76. And she didn't know me in my long-haired hippie days. And when I first came to the church there, I, I was such a rebel. I, was, I had such a bad reputation in high school that one of the girls who knew me from high school wrote down in her diary, Antichrist comes to church. It was me. So my wife didn't know me in those days. Uh, she came out of the world, now she's saved. So I found an old picture from my hippie days, and I showed it to her one day, and she started laughing. I said, you're laughing because I look like a woman. She said, no, I'm laughing because you look like an ugly woman. <laughs> so the mercy of God, I'm a living testimony to the mercy of God. And um, if you go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, just jot that down, askdrbrown.org. Uh, I normally write five op-ed pieces a week, so articles on key things happening around us. Those are posted there and on many other websites. Our radio show, five days a week. Uh, today I'll be doing Q&A, 866-34-TRUTH. You, no, no, you'll be here, so don't call. But other days, you can call. We, we, we cover relevant issues in the world. We, we answer Bible questions. Uh, I serve on the air as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. And what we mean by that is that we have a great platform. We're active on social media, radio stations, TV. And, and we are able to get a message out. You ever get frustrated watching the news, whatever side of it, it's like, God. Well, a lot of times I'm feeling what you're feeling, but we've got the, the grace to articulate. We've got a great platform. And we try to do everything with grace and kindness, even to those we differ with. So askdrbrown.org, if you go there, the show is three to four daily Eastern Standard Time, but then every, we, we, we do a live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, everything's archived. So thousands of hours of free resources for you at askdrbrown.org and then connect with us on any of our social media icons. Also, when you go there, just sign up for our emails. Uh, we'll send you a free mini book, uh, Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah. But the reason I want to mention to sign up, as I was leaving, uh, before flying here, I, I got a shipment from a publisher in advance, uh, a commentary I've been working on for years um, on the book of Job. It's called Job, the Faith to Challenge God, a new translation and commentary. Just doing a translation of Job, you lived some of Job's experience. Yikes. But it's written for every interested believer. You don't have to be a scholar. There, there are some Hebrew studies in the back you'll enjoy. 
but it's written for everyone to really deal with the life and death issues. So we'll be announcing that in a few days as well. All right, let's, let's pray once more. Abba, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your word, for your truth. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to go through a lot of Old Testament scripture, and I'm going to put on a teaching hat as opposed to a preaching hat this morning. A quick word about my background. The church in which I was saved was an Italian Pentecostal church. It was rich in devotion to the Lord and prayer and the word and outreach, but was not theologically broad. By the time I was saved a year, I would spend at least six or seven hours alone with God every day. At least three hours in prayer, two hours reading the word, one hour memorizing scripture. I used to memorize 20 verses a day. My brain had been so fried from drugs, was just alive. I was thriving in the midst of that, but then when I started college and I started getting exposed to other things, and then I started to meet Christians from outside my own camp, I, I started to have some questions about things. And although I had seen some healings and some, some genuine miraculous things in that church, and, and there were many supernatural experiences with God speaking and leading, I began to question a lot of things. I began to question my, my Pentecostal roots, and, and then certainly, when you pray for the sick, you're going to see people who are not healed. And, and then you're going to have really serious cases that seem to never get healed. So that started to raise questions in my mind, and, and ultimately, as I shifted some of my theology, we, we left and went to another church, and I thought, okay, now this is mature. We've got a much broader view of things. We look at world issues. We're sponsoring refugees, taking the poor into our home. We had a pro-life mentality. This is in, in the late 70s. I thought, now we've grown, and we did grow in certain ways, but at the same time, as I was now in college, majored in Hebrew, now in grad school, getting my master's and then PhD in Near Eastern languages and literatures, and thinking, this is my calling, I'll be a Bible scholar, I'll, I'll improve translations of the Bible, and kind of those old Pentecostal things, a little embarrassed by them. I still spoke in tongues, but not much. Healing, I really questioned. Gifts of the Spirit, I really questioned. What was happening was I had grown and matured in certain ways, but bottom line, I left my first love. And, and we were having a discussion about healing as elders in the church. The pastor assigned us to do our own studies and come to our conclusions, and because the Old Testament was my main focus, I concluded that God was more interested in smiting people than healing people, because he judged and judged and judged, and God the smiter, not the healer. My own sister-in-law, Nancy's sister, was miraculously healed at a meeting at a Word of Faith teacher, and because I so rejected the theology, I, I rejected the healing. Fine, that happened to you, but don't try to preach that to us. And in 1982, I was, I was working on my doctoral dissertation on abbreviated verbal idioms in the Hebrew Bible, a comparative Semitic approach. You're like, is that in the bookstore? Did they have that? No, I, I never finished that. God, <laughs> God began to convict me of, of the coldness and the pride in my life, and he brought me to a deep place of repentance. It's, it's hard to say I've been wrong, I've been heading in the wrong direction. And, and God broke me and, and brought me to deep repentance, and then sent an outpouring of the Spirit through me that dramatically and radically touched our church, and then put a promise in my heart that I'd be part of a revival that would touch the world. My life was completely rocked. And, and at the same time, we started seeing people healed, but their theology was wrong. They would quote scriptures for healing when I knew they were being quoted out of context. And that messed with me. It's like, but, but something's happening. 
And it seems the people who are most used in healing have a wrong theology of healing. So do I have a wrong theology? I mean, what's going on? So I put down my doctoral dissertation. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm dying to the idol of scholarship. Because for me, for many, it's a tool. For me, it had become an idol. And, and, and I laid the whole thing down. And I was on my knees one day with a Hebrew concordance open, looking at Hebrew usage of the word for healing. And the light went on. I began to see something. I switched my doctoral dissertation topic to, I am the Lord your healer, a philological study of the root Rafa in the Hebrew Bible in the ancient Near East. So I worked on that diligently. And, and then some years later, took all of that material, condensed it, and then went through the whole Old Testament afresh and wrote the book that Sam mentioned, Israel's Divine Healer. So, so this has been a, 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 an area of focus for me because I, I wanted to understand what God was saying. And I didn't want to believe something because people were having an experience. On, on the other hand, I was wondering why my wrong theology did not produce the right results I wanted. But was my theology right? Was it wrong? So I, I want to open up some of the things that, that opened up for me as we go through the Old Testament. And, and we'll start in the book of Exodus, the 15th chapter. Would it be okay if, if I quote some in Hebrew and translate? Is that all right? Just the way I memorize some of these things, it's easier to do it. But when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, pass through the sea, and, and, and they're at Marah and Elim, so, so they're first tested there. And there God makes a covenant with them. Exodus 15, 26, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what's right in his eyes, and pay attention to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, all the diseases which I put on Egypt, I will not put on you, because I am the Lord, your healer. Now, I didn't translate the Lord your physician, and I'll explain why a little bit later. But I want you to note there, all the diseases which I put on Egypt, I won't put on you. Egypt did not just experience physical diseases, but also plagues, right? Things that are outside of just physical disease and attack. In other words, when God is talking about disease and affliction and sickness, it is a broader category. Therefore, when he says, I am your healer, it is a broader category. You have this repeated in Exodus 23, verses 25 and 26, where God is speaking there about driving out the Canaanites and not serving their gods. It says, and you will worship or serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your food and your drink. And I will remove sickness from your midst. And then it also says there won't be any miscarrying, and you'll live a full life. What's the point? This is a basic covenantal arrangement God is making with Israel. If you worship me and honor me on a national level, I won't put sickness and disease on you. I don't believe it means catch a cold or have a headache. I mean serious afflictions. I won't put them on you. Instead, I'll remove sickness from your midst. And then it's repeated in Deuteronomy 7. Verses 14 and 15, Deuteronomy 7, verses 14 and 15. And what do you have there? God telling the Israelites, destroy the idols. Don't worship the gods of the Canaanites. Baruch You will be blessed more than all peoples. And what's part of that blessing? No miscarriage, no barrenness, even among your flocks and herds. 
And, and what else? And God will remove from you all sickness, all the dreaded diseases that you knew in Egypt. Instead, he'll put them on your enemies. Let me ask you a question. When there's a young couple getting married and, and you're writing a card for them, speaking blessing, do you say, and I pray the Lord will bless you with every sickness and disease? I pray that the smile of the Father will be upon you, that if you have children, they'll die young. No, no, hear me, please hear me. Some of you have gone through these very things, but hear me. We know that those things in and of themselves are not good. That those things in and of themselves are not blessings. Even though God works through these things, even though God is at work in our lives, even though we can grow through suffering, even though often the worst things that happen to us end up being platforms for the grace of God, the things that are meant to be stumbling blocks by the enemy become stepping stones for our growth in God. I understand all that, but there's no question from a biblical mentality that sickness and disease in and of themselves are bad, and healing and health in and of themselves are good. That's why when you get the good report from the doctor, you rejoice. In other words, we don't have people, hey, who has a testimony? I have a testimony. I just want to share the good news. I was given three days to live. Praise the Lord. What a great testimony. No, we say, okay, let's stand with you. Let's pray. And then, and then there's a miracle, and 10 years later, they're healed and healthy. Praise God, what a miracle. Please hear me. It doesn't mean that if we are sick or suffering, we are in sin. We'll come to that. It simply means that in the Old Testament, consistently then reinforced in the New, that healing and health are seen as blessings, and sickness and disease are seen as curses, and that would be the normal life experience. You wake up in the morning, something's wrong. What's the matter? Something's just not right. We know intuitively what God's ultimate best is. We see this in the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. Twice God says that curses for disobedience, verse 27, verse 35, curses for disobedience will be what? Incurable illnesses. When God the healer is rejected, you will be smitten with incurable illnesses. And then at the end of Deuteronomy 28, God says, and all the other sicknesses not recorded in this book, I'll put on you as curses. So we see this consistently. Covenant blessings are associated with life and health, covenant curses associated with sickness and death. Let's put them in categories. The category of life, blessing, health, the smile of God over here, the category of sickness, sin, death, curse, and when we get over to the New Testament this afternoon, we'll see that sickness is often associated with demons and Satan. What we need to do is align ourselves with God's mentality and recognize that sickness is a destructive thing. Yes, God can work in the midst of it, and it may be that the godliest person in this room is the sickest, and it could be that you're totally healthy and backslidden. I understand all that, but we need to align ourselves with God and His mentality and see sickness as an enemy, not as a blessing. Sickness is something that He came to deal with by His grace. F.F. F. Bosworth wrote the famous book, Christ the Healer. And in Christ the Healer, he made this interesting statement. Let me just read it to you. He said, I truly thank God for all the help that has ever come to sufferers through the physician, through the surgeon, the hospital, and the trained nurse. But if sickness is the will of God, then to quote Run Ryder, every physician is a lawbreaker, every trained nurse is defying the Almighty, every hospital is a house of rebellion instead of a house of mercy. 
Why do we thank God for doctor's medicine? Because they're on God's side working to cure illness and sickness. And there's the old Pentecostal line, if you pray, God, if it be your will, heal me, and he doesn't heal you, then why do you go to the doctor to get rid of the will of God? I finally say something unsophisticated and get a response. <laughs> Enough with the quoting Hebrew, I'll just stay with those kind of quotes. So, so I got to tell you a quick story, true story. I was a visiting prof at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, one of the finest seminaries on the planet. Great profs, great scholarship, godly leaders there. And they asked me while I was there to do a lecture for PhD students. So I, I gave them a few choices. I believe it was Professor Douglas Moo was, was overseeing it. I gave them a few choices, least controversial, half controversial, most controversial. And, and the most controversial was healing being God's will for today. So they said, do the most controversial one. So, you know, one of the famous words that every seminary lives by is knowledge puffs up, right? It's okay at the seminary level to be proud of how much you know and the more you can quote. And all. So, I, I know I'm going in there with a the minority position and being Pentecostal charismatic people can often look down their nose at you and think, well, what do you know? But I also knew that my Hebrew was 10 times stronger than the students that were going to be there. So, if I quoted enough Hebrew, then they couldn't look down their noses at me. And even if they differ with me, it's like, but I can quote Hebrew better than you. So, I did it there just to do it. Okay, that's honest confession. I figured just level the playing field a little bit. Oh, the Pentecostal guy can quote a lot of Hebrew. It's like, well, we can't argue so much. Anyway. Here I'm doing it just because I enjoy it, and that's how I memorized it. And in case any of the proud people are here, just in case. <laughs> Andrew, you got to quote a lot of Greek in your talk also to nail them. <clears throat> oh, and for all the critics watching, I quote Hebrew better than you. Okay, just, that was fun. That was, car Matt, that was carnal. I apologize. I have to step higher. Have a little fun here and there. In my cold days, I was a serious, committed believer. I shared the gospel. People knew me for my testimony. We were active in good works as a family. But as I said, I had left my first love. And, and I got very hostile to some of the Pentecostal charismatic positions. And I remember listening to this, this preacher from Texas on the radio. He said, you know, in Bible days, it was the devil who made people sick, and Jesus went around healing. Now we say it's Jesus who makes them sick, and the devil heals them. And I was like, I was so mad, but I, I couldn't argue with what he was saying. So these simple truths laid out in the five books of Moses. Yes, in Exodus 4, God say he, says he makes everyone, the lame, those who speak, those who can't. He makes everyone, but it's in the context of telling Moses, I made you, I can give you words to speak, I can be with your mouth. Now, when we, we go into the historical books, that we see often sickness, judgment, these things coming in a negative way, and then healing in a positive way. But when we get to the Psalms, we find this glorious connection between healing and forgiveness. Psalm 103, Barchinaf Shi et Adonai, praise the Lord, O my soul, Bechal Kravai, Echem and all my most being, His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who delivers your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and mercy. Look with me in Psalm 41. 
There's something fascinating there. The psalmist is sick. His enemies think, well, if you're sick, you must be under divine judgment. If you're sick, you must be in sin. And they're waiting for him to die. And what does he say in Psalm 41? It's fascinating. Look at this. Verse 4, I said, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Hang on. It looks like something's missing. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. He should have said, forgive me, for I've sinned against you, or heal me, because I'm sick. But this is all understood. The fact that I am in this situation under your judgment, I am sick because of my sin. I understand that if you heal me, it will mean that you forgive me. And this association between healing and forgiveness continues in the New Testament. Mark 2 and the parallels in in Matthew and Luke, what happens? The, The man who's lame, crippled, brought down through the roof of the house. What does Jesus say first? Your sins are forgiven. He has the guy get up and walk just as a proof of that, but your sins are forgiven. And then James, Jacob, the fifth chapter, which we'll hear about, what does it say? And he's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the congregation, pray over him the prayer, offer them faith will make the sick person well. And if he's committed sins, it may be, not always, but it may be there's a direct connection between the sin and the sickness. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So this connection between sickness and sin and healing and forgiveness is found in the Psalms. Now, we also know in the New Testament, John 9, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither. And that needs to be dealt with. And we'll come to the lesson of the book of Job in a moment. But this is a clear situation where when someone was afflicted with serious illness, they would know something is wrong. And if they knew they had sinned, they knew this is judgment. So healing and forgiveness would go hand in hand. It even ties in with the atonement, as we'll see in a little while in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. The end of Isaiah 33, just to jump ahead there, what does it say? No one living in Zion will be sick. Why? Because the people's sins will be forgiven. Here's a simple question. Simple question. Why is there sickness in the world? Why is there depression in the world? Why is there fear in the world? Why is there death in the world? Because sin entered the world. So it may not be specific sin on my part or your part, but sin entered the world through Adam, and we're in a fallen world. Why is it that there will be no sickness or depression or pain or fear or death in heaven? Because there'll be no sin there. We just need to position ourselves rightly. We can worship God in the midst of sickness. We can praise God in the midst of pain. We can grow. We can manifest his goodness to others. But it doesn't mean that the sickness in and of itself is a good thing or even sent from above. We should look at it as an intrusion, as a thief, as something that is trying to hurt or destroy and worship God in the midst of it, but believe aggressively for healing. We shouldn't be in doubt about God's will, God's heart to heal, as revealed in Scripture. Better to say, I understand based on Scripture that it is God's desire to heal me and see me well. I don't understand why I'm not healed. Better to do that than to change your theology based on your experience. Make sense? When you get over to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is practical wisdom for life. If you live a certain way, you live longer. Like when you're getting life insurance or health insurance, 
Okay, if you're not a smoker, if you're not a drinker, if you don't have driving violations, different things, you're in good health, you, you get a better policy because they know life expectancy based on these things. Proverbs is filled with practical wisdom, and it's the same thing. Living by God's principles produces life and healing. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, what does it say? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It'll be healing for your body. And tonic for your bones. He says that meant literally, I believe it's meant, yes, in a spiritual sense, but certainly literal. Proverbs is full of literal wisdom. Do this and you'll live. Don't run out in the street before you look. You know, your parents tell you that. If you do that, you'll live longer than the kid that runs out in the street all the time. What's it saying? Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, that if you take God's word in your heart, you don't let it out of your sight. You take it in, you meditate on it, you digest it, you, you live by it. It will be healing for your whole body. The words of God, Jesus says it in John 6, they are spirit and they are life. We literally live by these things, the same principles laid out. And then we come to the prophetic books. When we get to the prophetic books, one thing we learn is this, that God's healing must be just as literal as His smiting. When the temple would be destroyed because of judgment, when God would scatter His people to the nations, when there would be plague and famine, and, and hardship and economic collapse and casualties and war, these were literal, real things. And they would often be under the category of God smiting His people in judgment. And yet, when He would restore, the restoration had to be just as literal. The temple would be literally rebuilt. The cities would literally be repopulated. The economy would thrive once again. There'd be singing and dancing in the streets where there had been weeping and wailing. And there would be healing and restoration. And that's why in the prophetic books, like in Jeremiah 30 to 33, where it gives a picture of God restoring Israel, it's pictured as if it's a sick body being restored and being brought back to health. That's the picture, that's the image of the nation as a whole. And one of the great visions of the prophets is the whole man wholly healed. The whole woman, the whole person wholly healed. And we see that most clearly in Isaiah 53. Now, I know it's first session, it's morning, but I want you to dig with me into the Word. And, and by the way, I say this in utmost seriousness, that, that this is one of the few popular conferences where I feel I could really get into something like this and, and teach in this way, because we're going to get into the Word and, and dig together. I don't mean that as an insult of other places, but, but I, I think you're just more inclined to, to study it and dig deep in terms of your orientation and background, and, and that's why you're here along with wanting to encounter God. It's both and. We don't have to turn off our mind to love God, amen? We don't have to be brainless to experience the power of the Spirit. But Isaiah 53, I was convinced that it was to be understood spiritually only. And, and I felt I had confirmation from that in the New Testament. And when I really dug into it and then worked on it with my doctoral dissertation and meditated on some of the verses afterwards, I became convinced it's much more than that. It's the whole person wholly healed. Now, it begins on the inside. Forgiveness of sins is the great treasure. 
as the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was in, in meetings in Kenya in 1989, when people die, I can give them a new body, I can't give them a new heart. So we understand that people coming to know the Lord, salvation, forgiveness is the utmost goal, eternal life, but it's not either or. And God starts on the inside and works on the outside. So Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, as it's talking about the Messiah suffering for our sins, the servant of the Lord, it says in verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him with our near Palano, and by his wounds were healed. Verse 6, it starts in, in Hebrew with the same word it ends with, kulanu, all of us, kulanu katson ta'inu, all of us like sheep went astray, ishle darkol paninu, each one turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of all of us. Peter takes this up in 1 Peter 2 and, and, and says, you were like sheep going astray, but you've returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls by whose wounds you were healed. He takes this up in a spiritual way, talking about our salvation. We're healed, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're saved. But hang on. The verse is also quoted by Matthew. And this is really fascinating. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says that when evening came, they brought to him all that were sick, and he, he drove out the spirits with the word and healed the sick. We'll come back to that this afternoon about the connection between demons and disease to fulfill what was written in Isaiah 53. Surely he's carried our sicknesses and borne our pains. So here's the, the non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal answer. These are two separate things. Everybody with me so far? These are two separate things. Jesus in his earthly ministry healed the sick. On the cross, he died for our sins. Two unrelated things. You cannot say there's physical healing in the atonement or that Jesus paid for our healing at the atonement or by his stripes we're healed. That's not what it means. That is spiritual only. Matthew quotes it with reference to the healing ministry of Jesus. He took our infirmities, carried our sickness, while he was doing his healing ministry, when he died on the cross, by his wounds were healed. Two separate things you can't connect. Right, you'll, you'll find that in, in non-charismatic study Bibles, and I understand the logic behind it. There's only one problem. Go back to Isaiah 53. Verse four, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. When did we consider him smitten by God and afflicted? When, as the Jewish people, did we say he's suffering for his own sins? When? When he was hanging on the cross. Are you with me? Making sense? Okay, how then does Matthew apply it to the healing ministry of Jesus? How is, and Matthew does his own translation. He doesn't follow the Greek or, or the Aramaic of the day. He does his own translation to say literal sickness and pain. How is it that Matthew quotes a verse about the cross and applies it to the healing ministry of Jesus? Now, Matthew can quote freely to illustrate certain points, but I believe what he's saying is this. The whole ministry of Jesus, he is taking on our suffering and taking on our pain. Look at it like this. Look at it like a giant V. 
He comes down into our world and he takes on himself our sickness, our pain. He ministers to the demonized, to the outcast, to the hated. And, and he gets right into the thick of our suffering, our anguish. And then he, he gets to the root cause of it, namely sin, and nails it to the cross. And therefore, out of that, out of the cross, flows healing and redemption for the whole human being. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everything, our resurrected bodies, everything we experience for eternity, it's all purchased at the cross. It all flows out of the cross. It's all an expression of how God dealt with sin, and by dealing with sin, he sets captives free and liberates. His whole ministry in that sense is substitutionary and vicarious, entering into our world, carrying our burdens, our sorrows, and then nailing them to the cross by dying for our sins and by rising from the dead brings healing to the whole person. And how many of you have experienced that? You, you get saved and then you, you, you had psychological issues and you were crazy and just demented and, 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 and angry and violent and you're changed there and, and, and then your social life is changed and boy, there's healing and this all flows out of it. We may not realize all of the benefits in this world, but they've all been paid for. All signed and sealed and delivered at the cross and verified by the resurrection. And that's the ultimate vision of the prophets, that the day will come when the whole person will be wholly healed. What about, what about the root Rapha? What about that particular root that we mentioned? So I was looking at this in Hebrew. I, I, was, I was thinking this through, Rapha, to heal. You open up a dictionary, that's the way it's listed, Rapha. To heal. But I started looking at some verses. And, and I was looking at 1 Kings 18:30 about Elijah. It's a, a little different verbal form, but it says, and he repaired the Lord's broken down altar. And Andrew, if you check the Septuagint, it translates with the Atomai, which makes no sense. You don't, you don't heal the altar, you repair it. Now, now look, for those of you that are really excited about Bible software and, and Bible dictionaries and, wow, I can check the Hebrew and Greek. Remember, every word has one meaning and one context, right? So I'll give you an example. If I say, boy, the test is hard, I mean difficult, right? If I say, wow, this pulpit is hard, I mean like a rock, okay? So you get out your English Bible lexicon and look up the word hard and think, oh, it can mean difficult. When he says this pulpit is hard, he means it's a difficult pulpit. Like, boy, I don't have enough room to put out all my books. It's a difficult pulpit. Boy, the test is hard. I see that hard. It can mean like hard like a rock. The test is hard. Like if you hit yourself over the head with it, it must be written on like concrete. No, no. Every word has one meaning in one context. So you can't take, a, sorry, this is probably your greatest sermon was based on, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I mean, we do that. We find the meaning over here, and then we use it over, no, no. Every word has one meaning in one context. The biblical languages are not like magical. When it says Jesus wept, what does it mean? Well, what it means is he shed tears at the velocity of 11 uh, points per hour, and the tears just read up to the waist here, and it caught, no, it's just, what does it mean? It means he wept. Okay, so every word has one meaning in one context. But I started to look at this root Rafan, thought, wait, there's more to this. I'm going somewhere with this. So I noticed in 1 Kings 18.30, it didn't mean healed. You don't heal the altar. And he repaired the Lord's broken down altar. I thought, okay, that's interesting. 
And then I look over in Jeremiah 19, where, where Jeremiah is told to smash a piece, a piece of pottery, right? Smash this piece of pottery. And, and what happens when you, when you smash it? It cannot be fixed. Same word, rafa. Hmm. Repair, fix. And then Psalm 60, because of the judgment of the Lord, the earth is shaken. The earth's fissures, and, and the psalmist says, mend the earth's fissures. So it means mend there, fix here, repair there, mend here. And then I look in 2 Kings, and, and there's undrinkable water and people getting sick and dying. Elisha throws salt in there, and, and, and what happens? It, it says the waters were healed. To this day, that's how some of our translations read. The waters were healed. You don't heal waters. Preacher, could you heal the waters here? We're having a problem with it. You don't heal the water. What would be the water? They were made wholesome. They were made wholesome. Same word, same root. And then, then I noticed in, in Leviticus 13 and 14, with this severe skin condition we, condition, we call it leprosy, but it was something different than a different severe skin condition than leprosy we know today. But, but it says when the leprosy leaves that the leprosy is rafad, it's healed, but then it talks about mildew in the house, the plague of mildew. It's the same Hebrew words, the, 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 the plague in the body, the plague in the house, the plague of mildew in the house. And when the mildew disappears, the mildew is healed. Preacher, the mildew's been done healed. Praise the Lord. No, you don't heal mildew. Brother, I hear you have the gift, gift of healing. Does that cover mildew? I'm not sure. So, okay, so there's more going on here. Beads, it's, it's remitted. And then a verse we all know, we quote, but we don't really think about. Second Chronicles 7.14, right? And, and we, we try to apply it to believers today, but certainly Israel is a nation. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, right? Turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. Then what does God say? Then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and do what? Heal their land. That's an unusual usage of heal. What would be a, a, a much more natural use? Restore. So I understand that every word has one meaning in one context, hence me translating it in all these different ways in these different contexts, okay? But the point is this, that the fundamental meaning of rafa is to restore or make whole. When applied to a physical body, heal. When applied to undrinkable waters, make wholesome. When applied to, applied to mildew, remit it. When, when applied to a, a, a broken altar, repaired. When, when applied to a, a nation, restored. And, and when I went back to Exodus 15, 26, when God says, Ani Adonai Rafecha, I am the Lord, you're a healer. Light went on. Whoa, it's, it's bigger. It's not just physical healing. It, it's, it's your car broke down and you lay hands on it. The Lord healed my car. I mean, it's, it's, it's having this broader understanding of God our healer. That's why I don't translate it, our great physician there, or God our physician, but God our healer, because it's all of it, from the spiritual to the natural, to the physical to the emotional. Now, now, let me jump over to the New Testament for a minute, all right? And, and go with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And start, start in verse 50. Start in verse 50 there. Something really interesting. So there's a New Testament word, sozo. Many of you are familiar with it. It basically means to save or deliver. And it is from this word that we get soter, savior. 
So when you think of Jesus as Savior, we think of saving from sin. That's primarily how we think of it, saving from sin, but that's too narrow an understanding. So I just want you to look and see how natural this is in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 50. Luke 7, verse 50. Some of you are still saying, well, what language was that you were quoting? Okay, but we'll keep going. So here's a woman, sinful woman, washes Jesus' feet with her tears. The Lord says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has sozoed you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now go to chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, just a few verses down, verse 12. Those along the path, in the parable of the sower, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So your sins are forgiven, woman. Your faith has saved you. These people don't hear the word so that they can believe and be saved. Now chapter 8, verse 36. Here's the demonized man in the Gadarenes. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been, we translate it cured, or, but the same Greek word, saved. This woman saved from sin. This man saved from demons. Keep going. Luke chapter 8, verse 48. Luke 8, 48, the woman with the issue of blood She's healed. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Same word again, sozo. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You say, but Mike, you just told us that every word has one meaning and one context. True. But when you use the same word over and over in the same context, it's telling you that this is a broader meaning of the word. Your faith has saved you, saved from sin. Hear the words so you can believe and be saved. This man has been saved from demons. I'm trying to get us to understand saved more broadly, as opposed to, brother, are you saved? There's more to it. Saved from demons. Use delivered each time. Your faith has delivered you. Believe and be delivered. Delivered from demons. Delivered from sickness. And again, we'll open that up some more later today. And then, chapter 8, verse 50, when Jairus' daughter is pronounced dead, what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be sozoed. She will be healed. She will be saved from death. The same word within just a few verses. Saved from sin, saved from demons, saved from sickness, saved from death. Jesus is the Savior. God is the healer. It's a bigger picture. That's a good time to clap. Sure, go ahead. The teaching style gets less clapping than the preaching style, but as long as you're with me. How many are still with me? How many are just here? Raise your hand if you're just here. Okay. My point is that sometimes we can have this mentality of either or, the natural or the spiritual. Look, in the ancient world, at the time of Jesus, there was a famous healing deity named Asclepius. And, and he had these healing shrines all over the ancient world, the New Testament world. And people would go there and there were testimonies of healing, whether it was psychosomatic, whether it was demonic, whether it was coincidence, whatever. 
legendary for that, but he was also called Soter, Savior. It's not just the saving of the soul. It's not just that I, my spirit is saved so I go to heaven. The Savior sets us free from sin. The Savior sets us free from disease. The Savior sets us free from demons. The Savior sets us free from death. He's the Savior. And when God says, I'm the Lord, you're a healer, it's that big, it's that comprehensive, it's that large. Now, what about Job? Yeah, I've, I've wrestled with Job for years and years and years, and writing this commentary was years and years of work, and to try to write it in a way that could get to everybody. But when you have the mentality of sickness is associated with sin, and healing is associated with blessing, then if somebody gets seriously ill, what's the default reaction? There must be something wrong with you. And those of you that have had serious illness, I'm sure you had critics say, aha, aha, you see? It's one of the cruelest, most ungodly, unbiblical reactions. And yet we'll still have, ah, oh, there must be something wrong with you. That proves your theology's wrong because you're sick. I, I remember in the church in which I got saved, that, that there had been some folks that left our church and were going somewhere else, and, and we had a hurricane in our area, and, and a tree fell on their house, and I, I remember someone in the church saying, God protects his own. No tree fell on my house. So we have this kind of convenient theology, but it can only be skin deep because it doesn't always work out according to the plan. And I have an essay in the back of the Job commentary. I have a bunch of these practical essays. One is on the danger of holding a too rigid orthodoxy, where we get so stiff in our theology. So in point of fact, Job was enjoying an extraordinarily supernaturally blessed life because he was a righteous man, and therefore he was blessed by God. And that was certainly what would have been expected in that, in that era and, and, and mindset. So when he gets terribly afflicted, notice God won't touch him. The one that does the afflicting is still Satan. He's still the one associated with smiting him and killing his kids and putting this terrible disease on him. That's, that, that is a reflection of the heart of the enemy to destroy and, and to attack. And that's why I said we wouldn't wish that on anyone. We, we don't wish that on people's children. We don't wish that on babies in the womb. We don't wish that on newly married couples. Of course not. Something about it. Look, any, any doctor that can tell you what cancer does or what these other diseases do, they are working against the life that God put in the body. Again, it's not to condemn, it's to say, hey, God is for you. In the midst of sickness, He's for you and standing against that with you. So, Job, of course, honors God. He won't curse God, but he's distraught, curses the day he was born. And, and his friends, they started kind of gentle. Hey, hey, look, Job, obviously there's something going on here. I mean, we know you're a good guy, but there's obviously some kind of sin. God's chastising you. you. You must have sinned somewhere. That's why you're suffering. Well, Job begins to take exception to that and begins to push back. And, and, and he begins to push back aggressively and, and begins to think, okay, I know the way I've been living, and I should not have lost my kids, and I should not be smitten with this disease, so something must be wrong with God. Something's not right here. So the more he talks like that, the more the friends say, aha, you are wicked. That's why you're suffering like this. And then that gets Job even more rankled. And, and as, as someone pointed out, the friends thought that, that Job was suffering because he sinned. He was actually sinning because he suffered. 
he starts to speak and get angry with God. Now, amazingly, at the end of the book, God says that Job spoke rightly about him and not the friends, which is a whole extraordinary concept. I mean, you spend hours on that, but, but the long and short of it is that even though he sinned by speaking against God and calling God a, an evil tyrant and just a destroyer and all that, and God humbled him and Job recanted and repented, he was right to know that something was wrong. He was right to know that this was not the way God wanted it to be. So here's the error that the friends made. They saw someone in, in terrible suffering and assumed, aha, you must have sinned. Why else would you be struggling with a child in your family? Why else did you have that collapse in your business? You must have sinned. And why do people hold to that? Because that's safe for me. Because bad things won't happen to me then. See, I've got to reinforce that. I can't allow there to be any exception or any other answer because this way it keeps me safe. You hear what I'm saying? Nothing bad is going to happen to me. And then you'll even turn against the person because, well, you obviously did something wrong because you don't have a family member die in a plane crash unless there's some secret sin somewhere. And you've got to hold to that. Otherwise, I might die in a plane crash. And, and that's, that's why God rebukes the friends so strongly. So the friends say there must be something wrong with Job. Job must be different than we thought he was, and that's why he's suffering. Job makes the opposite mistake. He questions God. The friends question Job. Job questions God. That was also wrong. Don't change your theology because of the pain you're going through. Don't throw out the clear testimony of the Word that God is a healer and healing is for today because you prayed and you weren't healed. The right thing to do is to say, we don't understand this, but we're still going to worship God. We're still going to honor Him. And either in this world or the world to come, it's all going to work out. And, and, and there are many scholars and theologians who hate the end of the book of Job because it's a happy ending. And he lives happily ever after. And they think, well, that reinforces the whole wrong theology. It's not a wrong theology. God is a healer, and God does desire to bless. In this world, we'll have tribulation and hardship and difficulty. The so-called health and wealth gospel, you just name it and claim it, everything goes great. No, that's not the gospel. But the fact that God is a healer and a deliverer, that is the gospel. And when Jesus comes into the world, what does he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does he go around making healthy people sick, or does he go around making sick people healthy? Does he go around making free people demonized or setting demonized people free? He comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom, where the kingdom of God goes, healing and deliverance go. Isaiah 35 is, is quoted in Mark, excuse me, in Luke 7 and Matthew 11 when, when John the Immerser, John the Baptist, is in prison and questioning Jesus, or you the one to come, or maybe I got this thing wrong. Jesus says, tell, tell John what you saw and heard. He quotes from Isaiah 35 about miracles of healing and other things taking place. These were signs that the kingdom was breaking in. So in this world, we'll never see it 100%. Look, we know Jesus has given us victory over sin, and yet we fall short. We know he's promised us perfect peace, and sometimes we can be anxious. The same thing with healing. We know there are promises, but often we don't see it. I want to encourage you to your last breath to be believing God. I want to encourage you. I, I, re I remember when I got pneumonia, teaching on healing and, and, and working on my doctoral dissertation, teaching in a Bible school. I, I, I got hit with pneumonia. I was 28 years old. Doctors wrote, how in the world this happened to a healthy young man? I got hit with viral and bacterial pneumonia at the same time. 
and, and I, there was a demonic attack, and I pretty well can trace it back to when it happened. And I hear I'm in the hospital, I'm not getting any better. A week goes by, I'm not getting any better. And this is not a healing from cancer, life and death story, but it was real to me at that moment. It's where I was. And I remember laying in the hospital bed, and I'm not getting any better. My daughters came to visit, you know, little girls, they're just scared to see daddy like that. What's going on? And I'm thinking here, I'm, I'm teaching a class presently on Christ the healer. I remember the last day teaching it before I went to the hospital. I was so sick, I had to sit down teaching on Christ the healer. And I remember saying to myself, a billion years from now, when there's not anyone sick in God's kingdom, he's not going to be the healer any more then than now. And I, you know, I had intravenous, so I, I just wrote in Hebrew on the bandages, Ani Adonai Rafecha, I'm the Lord your healer. And, and then, again, it wasn't a healing from cancer or blindness, but it was a dramatic and supernatural healing. I just knew faith came alive, and I knew it. I told the doctor, I'm going home today. I called my wife. I said, Nancy, I said, I'm coming home today. And she said, hey, just, she thought I was just pushing it. I said, no, I'm telling you, I'm coming home. They went to x-ray me because they x-rayed me every single day. They went to x-ray me, and I said, I just want you to know there's going to be a dramatic change in the x-rays today because every day was the same thing, lungs fill. And, of course, it happened that day, and the doctor comes in my room. He goes, what are you doing here? This place is for sick people. Get out of here. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. I, I know some of you, you're in pain right now. I can't relate to, to what you must go through, chronic pain. Or you've been praying, every, everyone with faith that you know has prayed for you and laid hands on you, and you're here kind of a last resort. And, and your faith may be the strongest of anybody in this place in terms of if you still worship God, you still love God, you still praise God, you still believe God. So please don't hear, hear me making this some trite little thing. What I want you to understand is that this sickness is not this mysterious, wonderful, beautiful thing that God has laced into your life. These things are intrusions. These things are a result of the fall. These things are a result of attack from the enemy. And Jesus died to set us free, spirit, soul, body, in this world and the world to come. And what God laid on my heart, just praying before this, was simple truth about the joy of the Lord. When you know that God is with you, when you know that God is for you, it brings this euphoric, indescribable, glorious joy. Psalm 16, in His presence is fullness of joy. Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in that place of joy, you know everything is going to be all right. Sickness, disease, the reports from the doctor, it's the exact opposite. There is no hope. Everything is going to get worse. It's bad. It's always going to be bad. And almost this sense as if God's not really with you because of this bad report. I want to encourage you in God today, turn that thing around. And let joy hit in worship when it makes no sense. Sometimes when I've gotten the absolute worst news, I remember coming back from a trip from India and 10-hour flight, couldn't sleep at all, splitting headache the whole way, arrive in France, get to the business lounge, and there's literally 50 emails with bad news waiting, and, and I finally get to the last one. It's, it's from Nancy. It was the first one sent, call me when you get this. Some real bad stuff had happened, and I called her, and she said, I hate to dump this, but this is going on, and one bad thing after another, and friends turning on, it was just junk and bad and depressing. And when she finished, still splitting headache, I said to her, I'm feeling encouraged. She said, I said, yeah, I'm feeling encouraged. 
And can I tell you, I got on the plane and the Holy Spirit fell on me and we got a, one of the biggest massive issues in our lives is giant, giant mountain. The mountain. God gave me a word and the mountain moved. Something supernatural happened. I want to encourage you to let a spirit of faith rise. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And you can't work it up. But out of worship, let that joy rise. You say, I don't want to be disappointed. God will never ultimately disappoint anybody. We may have some, some valleys and some ups and downs, but you will never be ultimately disappointed in God. You'll never be let down. When we cast ourselves on Him, we find He is utterly and completely and wonderfully, gloriously faithful. And if Job was here, he'd say, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. So would you stand to your feet with me? We're going to close in a moment. Thank you, Lord. And Sam, if there's anything to add, still a, a few minutes. I just want us to raise our hands and just worship the Lord. And let Him, let him give you a fresh word of encouragement, joy, and faith, and love. Father, we love you. Lord, we love you, our great healer, our great healer, our deliverer. Jesus, our Savior, we adore you. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to worship Him and thank Him. Whatever is the worst, the most impossible, the most negative thing, right in the middle of it, begin to thank Him. No matter what I'm going, no matter how I feel, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to thank God. In the prison, in the in midnight, whipped, flogged, we're going to praise God, we're going to worship God, we're going to rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just open your heart, worship Him, and thank Him. Lord, we love you. Lord, we honor you. Lord, you're faithful. You're with us. You're for us, not against us. We're surrounded by you. Our enemies will fall at our feet because of you. Lord, you're faithful. Your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Lord, you who forgive our sins and heal our diseases and deliver us from the pit. The words of Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Woo! I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Come on, open your mouths and praise Him. Thank you, Lord. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. In the dark days, in the valleys, in the pain, in the sickness, in the loss, you're faithful. You never fail. You're perfect in every way. Even when we don't see it around us, we know you're faithful. You're moving. You have our best interest involved, Father. We trust you no matter what, whether we're healed or not, we trust you. Whether we feel blessed or not, we trust you. Whether life is going well or not, we trust you. We praise you. Forever and ever and ever, you're going to be faithful. Forever and ever and ever, you are good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right now, oh God, release joy in the midst of pain. Bring relief. May there be healing for bones right now. Healing for brains, healing for bodies. May sickness be banished by the light of your presence. May incurable diseases vanish in the light of your presence. Great God, our healer, Israel's divine healer, manifest your power in our midst. 
healing, life, strength, vitality, joy, victory, faith, rising. Thank you, Lord. Let's praise him one more time. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.